So John chapter 14. Um, today we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, and I think sometimes there's going to be a lot of confusion about the Holy Spirit. Um, has anyone here ever been confused about the Holy Spirit? Yeah, raise your hand. Yeah, anybody? Yeah, okay, you can admit it. Like, because it's like we know there's a Trinity. It's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. A Father makes sense, a Son makes sense, but a Spirit makes Sometimes no sense. Um, in some churches, they call him the Holy Ghost, which you know, makes it even more confusing at times. Um, this, does, any, does anyone recognize this image behind us? Um, this is the Calvary dove. Um, this is actually hanging up in the back of our sanctuary. It used to be in the main sanctuary, hanging up center stage all the time. When I grew up, this is actually what I thought the Holy Spirit looked like. Like when I imagined God's Holy Spirit in my heart, I literally thought, that that shape was just like, like just like in my chest somewhere, because um, that's what I thought my soul was. Like you know, right here where the sternum is is kind of how I always used to think of my soul. Um, did you guys know that's actually a bird? It's a dove. That right there is the beak. It's like a dove doing a downward dive bomb. Is what the Calvary dove is. I love it because it makes me feel super nostalgic. Um, other people see sometimes the Holy Spirit like a force. Like in Star Wars, the force. This is what Obi-Wan Kenobi says, um, and I'll do my Obi-Wan voice. He says, the force is what a Jedi gets his power from. It's an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us, it penetrates us, and it binds the galaxy together, is what he says. Um, sometimes that's what we think of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit surrounds us, and it's all around us, and it connects all the forces of the universe together. Um, I want you guys to think of the Holy Spirit primarily not as a force, but as a person. Check this out. Um, in Star Wars, if you guys know your Star Wars, does anyone know Star Wars? Like, not just the new one that came out. Like, I'm talking Luke Skywalker. Anybody? Okay, so you guys will know what I'm talking about. So there is a point in Star Wars where episode four, A New Hope, Luke is trying to destroy the Death Star. He's trying to shoot the torpedoes down the, the ventilation shaft. And as he's doing it, He's using his targeting system, and Obi-Wan Kenobi's voice comes in and says, Luke, use the force, Luke. Trust your instincts. Um, and, you know, he's thinking, like, oh, I've got to use the force. And so he turns off his computer. And, and so that's what we think a lot of times the Holy Spirit. Like, it's like, oh, it's just that sense or that conscience in our hearts. But you know what? It wasn't just the force that helped Luke destroy the Death Star. Does anyone else know what else helped Luke? Who was it? It was a person. Anybody know? Han Solo. Han Solo comes up, shoots Darth Vader and says, all right, kid, let's blow this thing and go home. Like, that's, that's what happens. So it's not just a force, it's a person. The Holy Spirit is described in the Bible as our helper, and we, you need to think of him not just as a force, as some spiritual force. He is actually one of the persons of the Trinity. So um, I've titled today's study Day by Day with the Spirit, and that's titled after this old 60s song from the old days of Calvary Chapel, which is Day by Day. The song goes, Day by Day, Day by Day. Oh, dear Lord, three things I pray. To see you more clearly, to love you more dearly, and to follow you more nearly. And you're thinking, way to be relevant and use a song from like a million years ago, Aaron. I'm sorry. Okay, so we are going to look at these three things. The first is to love Jesus more dearly. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, does anyone here, like, will you openly admit that you want to love God more? I'll admit that. Like, I want to love God more. I want a deeper, more amazing relationship with him. 
So what does it mean to love God? Well, I think sometimes it's hard because we have a warped view of the word love. I mean, we can say, you know, I love my wife and I love pizza. And are those loves the same? I hope not. That would be strange. Um, Sometimes love can be an obsession. You know, Harry Styles of One Direction shocked his fans recently with this Instagram post. Do you guys hear about this? No? So, yeah. He cut off his hair, donated it to charity. I don't know if there's actually a picture of him out there with short hair. I looked for it. There's no actual picture I could find of him with short hair, just his long locks cut off, donated to Little Princess Trust charity. Here was some of his fans' reactions. One was, tomorrow is my birthday. Harry decided to cut his hair a day before my birthday. What kind of present is this? R.A.P. Harry's hair. It's like, I don't know if he was intending it to be your birthday present. I think he was donating it to charity. I really don't think he cares about your birthday. Sorry. Um, Here's another one. I feel like I've lost a family member right now. Hashtag R.I.P. Harry's hair. Uh, Wow, yeah, I I don't know. Like dinner at the table for you is like mom at the dinner table, dad at the dinner table, and then Harry's hair at the dinner table. That's very strange. And here's another one. Dear Harry, dear Harry hair, you will be missed. I saw them grow, and I swear I wasn't ready for this. That sounds really creepy. I saw them grow. I watched each strand. Sounds like a serial killer. Very strange. Um, So Jesus doesn't call us to be obsessed fans of him who follow him on Twitter, and we like all his statements, and we obsess over him. No, Jesus calls us to be followers in real life. He calls us to actually literally follow him with our actions and our words and our deeds. So how, the question is, how can we love God? Uh, my notes, my notes are doing weird things. They're not letting me see the rest of them. Hold on, let's see if this will be fixed. Please, Lord, okay, there we go, they're there. Okay, so how can we love God? How can we love God more dearly? Well, Jesus gives us a clue If you turn there in John 14, um, if you look in the passage, there's three different verses if you scout around in the section. If you're watching the video, he said it. Jesus says, if you love me, if you love me, keep my commandments in verse 15. In verse 21, he says, he who has my commandments and keeps them, not just has them on their phone, not just like them on Instagram, but he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And then in John 14, 23 through 24, Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him and will continue to come to him and make our home with him. He who doesn't love me does not keep my words. So, Jesus says this three times. If you love me, you obey me. Now, this is a huge wake-up call for many of us in the church who we like to just hear what Jesus says, and we think like, oh, to be a Christian, I go to church and I hear about Jesus. No, to be a Christian, you go to church, you hear about Jesus, you at home open up your Bible, you read, you hear from Jesus, and then you go and do it. Uh, Question, question. If I study football plays, if I just open up the books, and like just pour over the most classic plays in the playbook, if I just steady and steady and steady, but I never get on the football field, am I a football player? 
No, I am a student of football, but I'm not actually running the plays. In the same way, to be Christians, we have to actually do what Jesus calls us to do. But this is hard. We, we struggle with obedience. We, does, anyone, does anyone here struggle with obedience? Anybody? Like with your parents, with your class, with your, your teachers? I still struggle with obedience, absolutely. It's hard for me to obey God. It's, sometimes it's hard for me when my parents give me advice, and it's really good advice, but I just want to do things my own way. Even as an adult, that's hard. Um, when my wife asks me to help her with something, sometimes I, I just, my flesh resists it and I just want to sit on the couch and not help her. Um, you know, I've mentioned this story before, but there's this classic illustration. Imagine this, you're sitting on the couch and your dad comes up to you and says, hey, I want you to clean your room, okay? And you're thinking, all right, you got it, dad. So your dad leaves, he comes back a few hours later, your room is thrashed. And he's like, I, I asked you to clean your room. Like, what, what are you doing? Like, I told you, like, be done by three. It's like four, your room is thrashed, what's wrong with you? And you say, oh, dad, check this out. I memorized what you said. Like, what? Yeah, I me- check it out, I can recall it from heart. Me- clean your room, clean your room. That's what you said. Your dad's like, okay. And you're like, you know what, dad? I didn't just memorize it. I actually, um, I, I went to uh, this, this group where we talked about the importance of cleaning your room and we spent an hour just dissecting just all of the different points of like, you know, five steps to a clean room and like uh, 10 steps to have an amazing, awesome room. And, and you know what, dad, I even went to a camp where they sang songs about cleaning your room and I heard some guest speakers come and they were just sharing all these awesome things about cleaning your room. And then later on, I'm getting together tonight with a small group and we're just gonna talk about just how blessed it is to have a clean room. Like, do you think your dad's going to be stoked? No, he's going to think you're a freak. And so many times as Christians, we just fill up on like all this stuff about, here's Jesus's commands. Here's what Jesus says. Here's what Jesus says. But do we actually do them? Jesus gives us commands, not because he's bossy. Jesus isn't bossy. Like he's not just up in heaven, like with a whole list of things that he wants us to do. No, Jesus is a father and Jesus knows that his commands lead to the good life. That's his heart. Did you guys know Jesus said in the Bible, um, they asked him, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, you know, it all really boils down to love God and love people. That's what the commands are all about. Now, it doesn't mean we're just like, okay, I just won't do any of the commands. I'll just love God and love people. That's not what it's talking about. Jesus is saying that my commands enable you, equip you, give you the tools to love God and to love people the best way that you can. Jesus says no obedience, right there in verse 24, he says no obedience means no real love. If you're living a life right now where you're just not obeying God in any way, shape, or form, Jesus is saying there's no real love there. So how can we be more obedient? Because sometimes it's too hard, sometimes our flesh is too weak, sometimes we're naturally selfish, a lot of times we are. Jesus gives us the answer. He says in verse 16, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The helper he's talking about is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, he's the Spirit of God and he's come to live in our hearts. He, you know, um, oh, another word for helper there is ally. Think on the battlefield. Think of some of you guys who play first person shooter games. Like how much better is it when you play co-op? Right? You know what I'm talking about? Like you're not playing the single player, but you've got a friend linked up with you and you're taking on the enemy together. So much better. Uh, girls, I can't think of an analogy, but, because I'm not a girl, but just imagine something that you like to do and you have someone doing it with you and it's much easier. Um, I could like just come up with some generic female stereotypic 
example, but that might be offensive, so I won't. Um, like Barbies, no, not gonna say it. Um, anyway, <laughs> so lame. I'm sorry, I'm not a girl, so I don't know what you do. I had sisters, I should have paid more attention, but I was too busy freezing their Barbies and throwing them off the deck and shattering them. I was a terrible person. I know, don't look at me like that, okay? Sorry. <laughs> anyway, so moving on. The Holy Spirit is an advocate. That's someone, does anyone know what the word advocate means? Anybody? Advocate? No? It's someone who sticks up for you. Have you ever gotten in trouble in class and like no one sticks up for you and it wasn't even your fault but the rest of the class doesn't want to get in trouble so they throw you under the bus? Raise your hand if that's happened to you. Anybody? Like you weren't even the one talking but you, yeah, and no one's like, actually it was me. I'll write the Gettysburg Address five times. Does, does Stanford still, did he still make, did he make you guys do that? Stanford made me and my friends write the Gettysburg Address like 20,000 times. He went soft, that's crazy, he used to be hardcore. Well, an advocate is someone who sticks up for you publicly. I wanna show you guys some art. Would you like to see some art? Yeah? Okay, look at this monstrosity. Yeah, how much do you think this is worth? $10? Give me 10, give me five, Any, anybody? I'm not selling it. Check this out. Um, so th there's a show called Antique Roadshow, and they brought this up to them. They're like, what do you think this is worth? And the guy's like, oh, I would say maybe $50,000. <laughs> well, then he found out it was actually an art school project made by a high school student. And he was like, oh, wait, no, it's actually worth more like $5. Um, <laughs> listen, in our life, sometimes we think we're worth a lot. Sometimes we think that we're worth nothing. Jesus looks at you and he says, you're worth dying for. Regardless what your classmates say, regardless of even what your parents might say or your teachers might say or your friends might say or your enemies might say, Jesus says, you're worth so much that I would die for you regardless of your flaws. Jesus is our advocate. He sticks up for us. He's always defending us. He's always affirming us and he's always praying to God for us. Did you know that Jesus prays to God for you? How does that even work? It's funny because we think of prayer as like you go into a secret room and like you get on your knees and like you, you know, talk to God. Jesus is, he's with God all the time. So really for Jesus to pray to God for us, it's not him going into the garden, Gethsemane, like every day at a certain time to pray for us. He just talks to God about us all the time. Jesus is, con do, do you realize that? Jesus is constantly talking to God about you. That's awesome. Jesus wants us to love him more dearly and for disciples, the Holy Spirit can be a hard concept. For the 12 disciples, the Holy Spirit is a completely new concept. I wonder if they were skeptical. Like, imagine, if you're watching that video, like, think about it. You're these 12 guys, you've been with Jesus for three years, okay? You've never experienced any of the things that Jesus does. The miracles, the healings, the crazy, like, political, like, just crazy statements he makes, like, all these things about the kingdom of God. Like, you're just, you're experiencing all these things for the first time. You've only had three years. Do you guys realize that? Some of you guys have been walking with Jesus longer than the 12 disciples were at this point. Think about that. So after three years, Jesus is like, okay, guys, I'm gonna die on a cross, but check this out, I'm sending someone to help. And they're thinking, who is it? Is it like Elijah? Is it Moses? Like, who's coming? And Jesus is like, it's the Holy Spirit. And you won't see him, 
but he'll see you. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, and he'll live in you, in your heart. Like, honestly, like, it could be, it, would, it might make you skeptical or freak out. Like, if I was Peter or James or John, I might be like, God, what are you doing? Like, the Holy Spirit, who even is that? Are you abandoning us? It reminds me of this family. There's this family where the son um, went away for the holidays. Um, or no, he went off to college. And uh, his mother was really sad that he wasn't around for, like, any of the family stuff. And this is what he does. He says, it's okay, mom. I'm going to send a stand-in. And he makes a cardboard cutout of himself <laughs> and mails it to his mom. This is something I could imagine some of you guys doing. Um, so, you know, here's a picture of him at Subway. Um, here's a picture of him. His mom put him in bed and read him a bedtime story. Um, here's a picture of him on Valentine's Day with his date, Barbie. Uh, and then uh, here's him with the whole family. So cool. You know, listen, the Holy Spirit is not a cheap stand-in. The Holy Spirit is not discount diet Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the real thing. It's not Jesus just going like, oh, you know, it'll do. It's a good replacement until I come back again. No, Jesus is saying, I will be with you because it is my spirit. He says in verse 17, it's the spirit of truth. Remember, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This Holy Spirit that we have is the true spirit of the living God. It's the Trinity. And has anyone ever tripped out about the Trinity? Anybody? Like, does anyone here feel like they like, completely understand the Trinity? I don't. And many pastors will admit that they don't. And that we'll use illustrations like, oh, it's like an egg. You know, sometimes an egg can be like in a pancake, like all fried up. Sometimes it can be in a shell. Sometimes it's the stuff in the middle. Or some people sometimes are like, oh, you know, the Trinity is like water. Sometimes it's boiling and steam. Sometimes it's ice. Sometimes it's just like cool liquid. I'm just going to be honest. The Bible says clearly that our God is one God, three persons, God the Son, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit. And that's crazy. <laughs> you know, this is the way I get past it. I know that Jesus says in the end, we will know all. We'll get to heaven and like he'll explain everything and we'll be like, oh, that makes so much sense now. It's just like two plus two. But down here, we don't get it. This is why, okay? We're kind of like ants and God's kind of like a MacBook Pro, okay? Think about it. Does an ant have the capacity to fully understand a MacBook Pro? Does it? Can an ant comprehend? No, but the ant can see the MacBook Pro. Like if I set an ant on my table and it's looking at my MacBook Pro, what's it gonna think? Okay, here's what I know. That thing's big, it's shiny, that's it. <laughs> that's what I know about that thing. I don't even know what to call it. It's just, it's big and shiny. That ant doesn't understand microchips, processors, logic boards. That's all the stuff going on behind the scenes, but the ant can never understand it until one day the ant dies and goes to the Apple store and gets everything explained. Okay, <laughs> I just made the Apple store an analogy for heaven, and it's not. If you've ever been there, it's a nightmare. Um, anyway, we'll never understand until we get to heaven, and that's okay. I'm okay with wondering. I'm okay with the mystery. I'm okay with not knowing everything because I know that that makes a place where I have to have faith. Not knowing everything about God, not fully comprehending everything, not fully understanding everything about God puts me in a place where I can completely depend on Jesus and put my trust in him even though I don't completely see everything. So if you're here today and sometimes you have doubts or you have struggles or you sometimes have a lack of faith, know you're in good, you're in good company because 
us pastors are like that and the disciples were like that. The point is not that you're just like, I know everything, I have it all figured out. The point is that you know that God knows everything and he has everything figured out and you put your trust in him. So for the disciples, their current mood is abandonment. That's why I love this verse. Verse 18, he says, I will not leave you orphans. Jesus says, I'm not gonna leave you behind. I'm with you. You know, one time at a church staff retreat, um, I was out on the water riding the jet skis, you know? And um, it was rad, because I'm not very good at that stuff. I'm like the guy who like wears like a t-shirt at the beach and at the pool, and like will like have a beanie on like out in the water, like I'm that guy. Like the guy who's like, I don't think he even wants to be here. I do, I'm just kind of weird. So um, I was riding, and anyway, I ended up, I don't even, to be honest, I don't know what happened. I have a really bad memory, but I got separated from the rest of the church staff, and I was like stranded on this little like island. not like a real tropical island, but just like this little cleft of land out on the water. And I was like, oh man, I don't know if anyone even knows where I am. My boss, Steve Henschel, rides up on a jet ski and says, hop on, bud. And then this happened. This happened. I rode with my boss, hugging him very tightly. (laughs) It was super awkward. Jesus isn't gonna leave you hanging. He will always come to rescue you, and it won't be awkward. It'll be awesome. Jesus will not leave us orphans. He has unconditional love for us. Did you know that Jesus longs for a deep, loving relationship with you? The key is to realize that he's always with you. And sometimes, sometimes it can feel like Jesus is invisible. Sometimes it can feel like Jesus isn't there. Have you ever felt that way? God, where are you? Where are you in my trouble? Where are you right now? Where are you? But I think the reason that Jesus seems invisible to us sometimes is because we fail to truly open our eyes to him. We fail to truly take the time to seek him and find him. There's this play that I love. Um, I saw Katie and her sister in it. Um, The first time I saw it, it was called Into the Woods, and then it came out as a movie later. Has anyone seen this movie or this play? Anybody? Into the Woods? Super crazy. It's like basically like, let's take every fairy tale and throw it in together. So you got Jack and the Beanstalk, you got Cinderella, um, you got Little Red Riding Hood, you've got um, just tons and tons of other fairy tales just thrown into one big thing. And it's written by this guy named Stephen Sondheim who's brilliant, and he's this great lyricist, great lyric writer, and he wrote this beautiful song called No One Is Alone. And um, in the song, Basically what happens is there is a giant going around just killing everybody. And it's really dark. The play starts out really happy and then the second half like everyone starts dying and it gets really dark, but it's just, it's so gripping and so good. And Jack and the Beanstalk, his mom gets stepped on or something. She ends up dying and he's totally alone. Um, Little Red Riding Hood, she's totally alone. And, and um, the baker and Cinderella are with the kids and they start singing this song to them. And here's some of the lyrics, but it goes, uh, mother cannot guide you, now you're on your own. Only me beside you, still you're not alone. No one is alone, really. Someone is on your side, no one is alone. And I love that. I love those lyrics because it reminds me of the reality he is always with us. For those of us who are Christians, we're never alone. 
Never. No matter the darkest times you go through, no matter when you feel like you're literally stranded in the woods without a friend, and I felt like that. Sometimes in high school, it's, it's very strange because you can have friends all around you, but you can still feel alone because of the things that you're going through. Because you feel like you can't tell anybody about it. Because you feel like you're a freak, and if people knew what was really going on inside your head and inside your heart, people would think you're strange. But Jesus says, I'm with you. You're never truly alone. The second thing the Spirit allows us to do is to see him more clearly. You know, it's crazy because we live in a world where people are in darkness. And what I mean by that is people live in fear, they live in anger, they live in hurt, they live in depression and despair. And the reality is, kind of like this picture we're looking at, this guy has his eyes closed. And so he's in darkness but there's actually light all around him. And if he just opened up his eyes, he would see the lantern and the candles. And in the same way, you live in a world where people all around you are in darkness because they have their eyes closed. And when you close your eyes, it's actually you putting yourself in the darkness. When God is saying, I'm all around you, I'm everywhere. The Spirit of God is in everywhere. You cannot find a dark corner of the world where God is not. Countries where children are dying from poverty and starvation, God is there. Places where war is destroying countries, God is there. Places where girls are sold into prostitution, just super dark stuff, God is there. And he's trying to reach people. And we just need to open our eyes. Jesus says in verse 19, a little while longer, and the world will see me no more. Now, is this statement true, Jesus? Is this a true statement? Jesus says, hey, like, think about it. This is 2,000 years ago. Jesus says, in a little while, people aren't going to see me anymore. People aren't going to see Jesus. Is that, is that true? Do people see Jesus today? What do you guys think? Do people see Jesus today? Anybody? Yeah? No? I mean... I think they kind of do because we've got Jesus action figures and thumbs up Jesus guy. We've got Jesus on toast. Some people think they say Jesus and toast. We've got Mr. Ben Carson over there posing with Jesus, Jesus handing him his diploma. It's pretty sweet. Um, we've got 14 major actors who've played Jesus over the years. This isn't even all of them. You know, you've got, remember the whole controversy about like Oscar's so white? I think like we need like hashtag Jesus so white because he's not white Okay, he's not white, he's not English, he doesn't have blonde hair and perfect teeth. We need to get over that. Anyway, the problem isn't that people don't see Jesus. Listen, the problem isn't that people don't see Jesus, the problem is they don't see the true Jesus. That's the reality. Jesus is still around, he's still in our media, we see him all the time. There's even meme pages of Jesus on Instagram. Yes, it's true. <laughs> but that's not the, like, the things that we see, like, that's not the true Jesus. People are always trying to show one side of Jesus. They're trying to show, oh, Jesus was a teacher. Jesus was a humanitarian. He would just help people who were poor. Jesus was a philosopher. He just sat around, he talked about life. Jesus was a great guy. You know, people even like to adapt Jesus to like their own personal version of him that suits their platform. That's why we see some people who are all about, you know, hippie, you know, peace and love Jesus, and then other people who are like, Jesus who will shoot you in the face because he joined the NRA. That's, no, seriously, it's everywhere. The, the, the problem is, it's even in the church. Because when Christians 
fail to strive to really see Jesus. Listen, listen, when Christians, when us, when we truly fail to strive to see the true Jesus, then we fail to reflect him truly to the world. When Christians fail to strive to see the true Jesus, we fail to reflect him truly to the world. Do you know who's responsible for making sure your deodorant works? It's these guys. Yeah, to make sure that deodorant products actually work, it's the responsibility of these good men and women, yes, the odor judges. They're responsible for assessing the effectiveness of deodorant products. They're also employed by manufacturers of perfume, mouthwash, and inserts for shoes. These guys basically go around smelling like breath and armpits to make sure that the product is working. That's gross. But you know what? That's how a lot of people view Christians. They view us as like, we think it's our job to go around and make sure everyone smells good as far as sin goes. We're the sin sniffers. That's what some people call Christians. We're just always going around like, do I smell sin? Oh, you're in sin. You're in sin. You need to repent. Hey, hey, buddy. Like, that's, that's what people think of us. We're the, and isn't that kind of gross that people think that we think that that's our job to go around and make sure that everyone's doing the right thing and they're not doing the wrong thing? Listen, that's, that's not Jesus. The world will not see Jesus unless his followers truly see him first. The sin that we as Christians are supposed to be judging is our own. We're supposed to look into the depths of our own heart and say, I'm a sinner. I need to repent every day, man. And then we go out into the world, and when we see people who are sinning, we don't think, oh, man, they got to get their act together. Those guys are sinning. No, we look at them, and we realize that sin is death, and it's prison, and it's darkness. The only feeling that a Christian should have for a sinner is compassion. It should never be judgment in the sense of I hate them and what they do and it disgusts me. No, we look at them and we realize, man, if they don't get Jesus, they're going to die and go to hell. Not, hey, if you don't get Jesus, like, man, you're going to hell and you deserve to go there because you're like, yes, I mean, it's all true. We all deserve hell, but yes, we all deserve hell. And once you get saved, that doesn't give you the permission to feel spiritually superior and to go around and and tell other people that they're horrible. No, you realize, yes, we all as humans are horrible. I'm horrible, but only because of Jesus, I'm allowed to be saved. And I look at that non-saved person in their sin and I go to them and I show them the love of Jesus and I tell them about God. And yeah, you tell them about sin, but not in a way where you're trying to make them feel like a jerk. No, you go and you tell them as someone who would tell someone, hey, you're sick and you have this disease and it's killing you and I love you and I don't wanna see you die so I'm telling you about this because hey listen, the disease that you have, it's the same one that I had before Jesus cured me. That's, that's the good news, that's the gospel. Are you, are you with me, anybody, are you with me? Okay, so he says, the end of verse 19, says the world won't see me, they won't, the world is not going to see the true Jesus but he says you will see me Because I live, you will live also. What does he mean by live? Is he saying, as long as I'm alive, you'll be alive too? Because that would kind of make sense, because he died, Jesus died, and then the disciples died really quick after. They were all killed for their faith. This isn't what he's talking about, though. Jesus is saying, my spirit lives in you. And because my spirit lives in you, you live. You have eternal life. You may die, but you'll never actually really die. Your body may be destroyed, but your soul will live forever. You have an indestructible, bulletproof soul. It's the true life. It's the resurrection life. What is resurrected life? 
It's when you keep Jesus's commands because you know that sin leads to death and Jesus leads to life. We've said before, it's when you finally decide to quit doing dead guy stuff. It's when you were a zombie, you got brought back to life, but you're still living your zombie ways. You're still being the walking dead even though you're fully alive. It's when you choose to stop doing dead man things. He says in verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. I can't stress enough that if you say that you love God but live in constant sin, unrepentant, I'm talking about you sin and there's no remorse, you don't care, there's no feeling of guilt, there's no desire for repentance, you're just sinning because it's like, hey, this is what I do, this is who I am. If that's you, you don't really love him because love is an action. Do you just love the idea of being saved from hell or do you actually love him? He says at the end, and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. You know, listen, he already loved you. His love for you is unconditional. What he's talking about when he says, if you keep my commandments, you will be loved by my father. He's not saying like God doesn't love you now and then if you start um, being a Christian, then God loves you. No, you need to know that God always loves you. What he's talking about is when you start to really follow Jesus, you open up the doors to fully experience God's love because God loves you, but your sin builds a wall between you and God. And so God loves you enough to say, hey, I will tear down this wall if you, left, if you let me. This wall is here. You can choose to have this wall if you want. You can choose to live in your sin. You can choose to continue to do what you want to do. But God says, if you're willing, I will tear down this wall because I died to pay the price to be able to tear down this wall. Hell isn't really a tortured chamber that God throws people into. It's a dungeon that we lock ourselves into. It's a place where we close the door and we turn the lock. It's where we, we I mean, anyone who goes to hell really chooses to be there. We need to open our eyes. Jesus says, I will love him and manifest myself to him. Does anyone know what the word manifest means? Anybody? Raise your hand. Manifest? Manifest? It's a biblical word. So it means, well, I thought it meant show. I thought it just meant like, you know, to, manif to manifest means to show someone. So if you're going to manifest that you're strong, it's like, oh, I'm strong. Look at my muscles. I will show you. Um, to, act, to manifest, the word actually means to prove with actions. So it's not just, hey, look at my muscles. It's, hey, I'm strong. Watch me lift up this semi-truck. I don't know if you can really do that. You can't, unless you're a mom and your kid is trapped underneath it, I've read. So obedience leads to God manifesting his love for you. Not Santa style, not like, oh, I'll obey God and then Jesus will just come down the chimney and give me gifts. It's not how it works. It's blessing us in our heart and our spirit. And yes, sometimes physical blessings. Sometimes God blesses you with things. As I've been walking with God, I have received some physical blessings. Um, my house, totally didn't expect to live in this awesome house where I can do youth group, but God blessed me with it, and it's awesome. I, I mean, I wasn't even expecting it. I, it's totally something where I can look at it and say, man, we didn't have the money, and, and all of a sudden, the landlord shows up and says, hey, I'm not even gonna charge you guys that much, and it's like, wow, this came from the Lord. But that's not why I follow Jesus, to get presents. I follow Jesus because of what he does in my heart. And the greatest way that Jesus manifested himself to us was the cross. God wants his followers to manifest Jesus to the world. God wants you to show the world who Jesus is through your actions. 
Did anyone hear about the shooting in Orlando? Anybody? Yeah, terrible, tragic stuff. A guy under the influence of ISIS, I hear, um, walks into a gay bar and kills over 50 people. Just, this is the, the worst mass shooting our country has ever experienced. And it's tragic and it's horrible. And, you know, I was down in Seattle with my wife and we went to this little tiny Calvary Chapel um, called Calvary the Hill. And it was in an old fashioned church from like, you know, a couple hundred years ago. It was super cool. We're just listening to the Bible study and the guy who's leading the Bible study says, hey, um, after the Bible study, in the park, there's a big group of people gathering together who are doing a vigil for the victims of the shooting. Well, you know, do you guys wanna come? And so Brooklyn and I were like, yeah, let's go. So we went down with this pastor and with the other people in the church, and there's so many people there. And what we start to realize um, as the event is going, the majority of people who are there are from uh, the LBG community. They're, they're from the gay community. And then a Another group of people who are there are, are Muslims. There's just a ton of Muslims there. And as I'm there, part of me, like my kind of like grown up in the church, like kind of not sure like what's right. I'm kind of thinking like, is it even right for me to be here? Like there's rainbow flags everywhere. And like pretty much everyone here is like, you know, big supporter of homosexuality. And as a Christian, I feel like I, I know the Bible says that's sin. Um, you know, am I supporting sin? Like, what am I doing? And I was praying, and, and the Lord was just speaking to me, and the Lord was like, just, just love these people. Like, just stand here with them and show them that you care, that people died and that people were hurt. And so I, we stood there and we listened, and um, there was people from the gay community who got up and said, you know, we just want the Muslim community to know that, like, we don't hate you. And um, the, there was Muslim people who got up, and they're like, you know, not all of us are terrorists, and uh, we love people in the gay community. And it was, it was crazy. We, we were just standing there, and we were listening to these people talk, and I was just praying for them the whole time. And, and, and as I was listening to, there was a choir of people singing, and, and just seeing all these people show support for one another, I was like, man, like, this is what the church needs to do. The church needs to love these lost people in the gay community and in the Muslim community, especially during this time, in this time of the world where all these things are going on. We need to love them. We need to become friends with them. We need to show them compassion so that when they go through the hard times and they're looking for comfort, they can turn to us. And they can, they can say, hey, can I talk to you? And we can share with them about Jesus and then lead them to the Lord, which will cause them to leave their sin and truly walk with God. That, we need to manifest Jesus to the world. Here's, here's a picture I meant to throw up earlier, but that, that's a picture of the, of the thing we were at to support the people who died. And I was blessed to stand there. We need to be passionate about showing the world what Jesus is really like. We, the, this, is why, the, this is why the world doesn't see Jesus in Christians a lot of times. My wife sent me a video she found on YouTube after the Orlando shooting of a pastor who basically, it, it, he's, he's a pastor, and at church, he's standing up in front of his people and saying, yeah, this is good. Like, those people who were in that gay bar, like, they deserve what they got. And, you know, I wish he would have finished the job and blown up the whole building because they all deserved it. That's, that's terrible. That's not the heart of God. That's not the heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus is to love sinners and save sinners from their sin. We have a God who loves sinners. The people in Orlando, sinners. The people in this room, sinners. Me, sinner. 
God loves us, and he's passionate about rescuing people from their sin. And I'm so glad he rescued me from my sin, and he continues to rescue me from my sin. And listen, I just wanna devote my life to knowing this God better. As we wrap up, I just wanna look at verse 23. Jesus says, in verse 27 actually, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Jesus is all about peace. And in our world, we need peace. In our world, we're looking for peace. I don't need a show of hands to know that if you're anything like me when I was your age, I was looking for peace. In our age of social media, we are surrounded by false peace. It's that feeling you get when you post a picture and you get that number of likes that's like, okay, I know I'm okay. I know I'm doing all right. You know, if it would have been 25 likes, I would have thought, oh man, I'm doing really bad, but I got 30. So that's like what uh, Hope's Anchor's Instagram averages, like 30 likes usually on something. Uh, so that's where I'm like, okay, I know I'm doing okay. If it gets like five likes, I'm like, I'm a terrible youth pastor. Um, maybe you feel that way. Maybe in social media, you have this false sense of peace where you post things and you're thinking, this will get me love, this will get me satisfaction, this will get me affection. Maybe in your friends groups, you have a false sense of peace. I mean, right now, right now, the teen suicide rate has tripled since 1960. There are so many young people your age who are looking for peace and struggle with not having peace. You know, body image is a huge issue with people your age. Like, like you look fine, but looking in the mirror, you just, you, you see trash. And it, it can hurt, it can be hard. That was my struggle growing up. Um, I, I gained a ton of weight, and then I lost it all and got really skinny, but I still looked in the mirror and just saw, like, I just was like, man, I'm so ugly, I hate myself. I thought those things all the time at your age. Um, you know, did you know, this is, this is actually, I don't even know what the statistics are for girls, but this is for guys, okay? So for some perspective, because we think of girls as the one who obsess over their image. Um, I was reading some statistics, and there are guys, 40% of young guys who were interviewed said they would trade one year of their entire life for the perfect body, They'd say, yeah, I'd give up one whole year of living. Um, I would fast forward to the future one year and skip all the things that happened in a year for the perfect body. Um, 5% of guys said uh, 10 years. They'd give up 10 years of their life for the perfect body. We crave peace. But listen, the world can never give us the peace that we want. It's an endless cycle. It's the, an endless cycle of just wanting and wanting and oh, I've got to lose the weight and I've got to grow taller and I've got to get better at this sport. And I've got to work out more and maybe she'll like me then. Oh no, she doesn't. And it's just, it's this endless, endless, endless cycle of I'm trying, I'm trying, but I'm never enough. The grades are never enough. Nothing is ever enough. No matter what I do, it's never enough. And we feel like we don't have peace. I just want you guys to know Jesus is where we get that peace. Jesus is where we get that peace. He says, the peace I give to you is better than the peace of this world. It's awesome. I was reading this story of a forest fire, and all the animals are fleeing the forest. They're running away from this forest fire. 
but there's this mom bird sitting in a tree branch, and she's got her eggs, and she can't move them. She's got three eggs. She can't do anything about it. So she actually gets up on top of the birds or the eggs, and she covers them with her wings. And as the fire passes through the forest, the mom bird is completely dissolved and destroyed, but the eggs remain. And then they hatch, and they're okay. That's what Jesus does for us. He says, hey, I've got you covered. Like, I've got you covered. He, he says, rest underneath the shadow of my wing. You need to know that no matter what you're going through, Jesus has got you covered. And that's good news. It's good news that we need. Anyone ever seen this guy? That's, his name's Paul Pot. He's a dictator. He is responsible for the Cambodian genocide. Anyone know what a genocide is? It's like where an entire group of people is basically wiped out. He is not a good guy. This is Brooklyn's grandma, Mama Claudia. Sweet old Mama Claudia. She's amazing. She's way better than that guy. <laughs> She's sweet. She's a folk singer. She bought us a new car. She is like literally the sweetest lady of all time. But you know what? On Judgment Day, when Paul Pot and Mama Claudia stand before Jesus, the question isn't going to be who was better. Who was better? Because the answer would obviously be Mama Claudia. She's amazing. The answer or the question is going to be who is sinless? Who is without sin? And you know what? Neither one of them can say that they're sinless. And so the real question is not who was better, but who has Jesus? Who has Jesus? And that's so encouraging because I know, I know she's going to heaven, Mama Claudia. She's amazing. She loves Jesus. This guy, I don't, I don't know. But no matter how good or how bad you were, if you have Jesus, if you followed Jesus, it doesn't matter about your past, it doesn't matter about your regrets, it doesn't matter about your failures. If you have Jesus, you can stand before him and he says, welcome into my presence, welcome into my kingdom, not because of what you did, but because of what I did. And I love that. Jesus is our advocate. Another word for advocate is lawyer. It's like a defense attorney. In the court of heaven, Jesus is arguing for our innocence. He says, hey, listen, they don't have to go to hell because I paid for them. He is the only way to have peace. And he is, he's a good, good father, is he not? Yeah, anybody? He's so good. Let's pray and let's give him this day and let's ask him to show us to teach us to love him more nearly and to see him more clearly because that's what we need today. Amen? Amen. Lord, we love you. Lord, we ask that you would continue to show us the way, the way to the Father. God, we need you. We need your spirit. We need your truth. We need your love. We need your life. God, some of us here, we see you all the time in the sense that we see your poster in the hallway. We see you in the Bible when we open it up. We see you in the videos that we watch. We see your sticker on our friend's binder at our Christian school. But God, so many times we fail to really see you clearly. Show us what you look like. Show us what you look like. 
so that we can show others what you look like. Help us to love you. It sounds strange to ask us to help you to love, for us to love you. It seems so strange, God, to ask for help for that. But you wanna give it. You want to give us your love so that we can love you more dearly and love others around us with your love. God, in this broken, mixed up world with violence and shootings and terrorism and all these things, what the world really needs is your love. And I pray that these students wouldn't grow up just trying to get through school to get to their job, to get to their career, to get to retirement. But I pray that these students would grow up desiring to see you so clearly that they can show everyone else in the world what you're all about through their life and through their actions and through their obedience. We love you, God. Everybody said amen. Amen.